Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On an award-winning program, and we are Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening and happy 4th of July. I'm Clarence Boone, and in today's special holiday broadcast, you'll hear from participants representing 25 young leaders from Sub-Sahara Africa, including physicians, social entrepreneurs, advocates for the disabled and for women's health issues, a management consultant, scientist, and a school teacher who were selected to be in the U.S. State Department's Mandela Washington Fellows for Young African Leaders. This is a fascinating global engagement program being hosted at Indiana University. These fellows are leaders who have established records of accomplishment in promoting innovation and positive change in their organizations, institutions, communities, and countries. From a recent blog, Indiana University Senior News and Media Specialist George Velakis wrote the following. As he welcomed 25 of Sub-Saharan Africa's brightest young people to Indiana University on Monday, to show me alumni cited two well-known proverbs about the power of education. One proverb from alumni's native land of Ethiopia simply says, he who learns teaches. The other proverb commonly shared across the Democratic Republic of Congo says, wisdom is like fire. People take it from others. Joining us tonight from the Mandela Washington Fellows are Sylvester Sede from Nigeria, who is a media professional with over eight years experience in creative innovation, media production, and programming and community development. He has worked extensively with over 300 youth and women in Nigeria's Niger Delta. Sylvester is currently the MD of a media firm, Silver Flame Media Limited, and president of the Creative Arts for Peace Initiative, a youth NGO. Zaminda Eruru, from Ethiopia, who is an activist and involved in mentoring high school girls towards reducing gender-based violence, environmental education, and hygiene and sanitation strategies. And Zuki Zenhold, from South Africa, an advocate and community leader who strives to address issues of inequality of diverse groups, especially disabled. And with that, Sylvester, Zaminda, and Zuki, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, Thank you very much. Wow, we are fascinated with this program, the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders. I believe it started uh, back in 2014. Yeah. yeah. Tell me how you got involved. First, introduce yourself, if you will, a little bit more than the bio I just read, and we'll start with Zuki on my right. If you'll just sort of introduce yourself, tell us where you're from. All right. Well, I'm Zuki Nzo, as mentioned earlier. I'm a, I advocate for disability inclusion, and uh, how that came about was... Uh, I was shot during a hijacking in South Africa about nine years ago. So my background is in economics, but then there was a big shift in my life. And that's when I realized that um, the change needed to happen because I first, I faced the barriers that restrict persons with disabilities from participation on an equal basis with everybody else directly. Physical barriers, legislative barriers, communication barriers, information barriers. So it was important <coughs> for me to be part of the disability sector and be part of this change. So that's when I joined the disability sector where I advocate for disability inclusion. 
both in my business and in my personal capacity, as well as I volunteer for disability organizations. And also I sit on the Presidential Working Group on Disability, where we look on issues around disability on a national level and try to influence um, policy. So that's a bit of background about myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, Zimdena, if you'll likewise introduce yourself. Um, my name is Zimdena Abebe. I'm from Ethiopia. <clears throat> I'm a feminist. I'm an intersectional feminist. Um, I'm a writer. I'm also a human rights activist, basically. So my background is in political science and international relations. Um, I worked with like different international organizations like UNICEF Ethiopia, the African Union. Um, my last job was with um, the African Union in Mali. I was a volunteer for the African Academy of Languages, which specializes on African languages and their promotion and like the different development uh, narratives. So that, that's it. All right. And Sylvester? All right. Uh, my name is Sylvester Sede from Nigeria. I actually studied mechanical engineering back in the university, but I've got a strong background in media. Uh, back in 2007, uh, when the rise of militancy was strong in the Niger Delta, in Niger, back in Nigeria, I had a very negative encounter, which prompted me to scout for young people who we can use to engage their communities, because at that time, a lot of young boys were recruited into militancy. So I went back home and I structured a program where we could use music and arts to get young people into civic engagement and get them busy in their communities and not being restive. So uh, I think that was where I picked up the interest in working with young people and I now run uh, an NGO, uh, NGO uh, the Creative Arts of Peace Initiative, where we work with young people um, exploring their talents in music, in arts and different skills and also building their entrepreneurship skills too. Thank you. And again, thank you for accommodating us here, bringing on. We're so happy to have you here today. Sylvester, um, you mentioned that uh, you have a, did you have a background in media prior to uh, becoming involved with the fellows program? Yes. So, so what happened in my case was um, I left the university, but back home we have an issue of unemployment. So I figured out after my graduation, I can't, I couldn't wait for anyone to give me a job. I don't want to go looking around for a job. So I thought, what's the next thing I could do? And I, I had a passion for broadcasting. So I took a course, a short course in broadcasting. And that was how I got into the media. And since then, since 2009 till now, I've been practicing. I went, to, I went along to consult for an NGO back in Nigeria. I was a media consultant for the NGO where that was when I had the opportunity to work with lots of young people in different communities back in the Niger Delta. So you're more accustomed to sitting on this side of the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to an extent, because my, my NGO still produces a radio program till date, Inspire Me. Inspire Me is a radio show. It's a weekly a radio show for young people where we put you on the spotlights, ask you lots of questions about what you do, mm -hmm. how you got to where you are right now, especially if you're creative and if you're a bit successful in your endeavors. So we use you as a spotlight and as a pointer to other young people in the communities to follow suit. I mean, if this guy can make it, why can't I? You know, Zuki, I'm, I'm reading that one of the aims of this program is to uh, assist with community building, entrepreneurship, grassroots activism, and volunteerism. Uh, in the week that you've been here in Bloomington and Indiana University, what can you report out as far as uh, takeaways that you've been experiencing thus far? All right. Um, my objectives of, you know, of, 
of being here in this program is to firstly learn about the good practices in the United States, in a first world like the United States. And also because I'm amongst 49 other um, young leaders who are doing amazing things in their countries to try and see if I could partner with them in any way or learn from them. So since I've been here, for me, um, back home, we still don't have a disability act, right? We are relying on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, as well as we've re recently adopted the white paper on the rights of persons with disabilities, but we don't have a disability act. So it was very important for me to see how the Americans with Disabilities Act um, came about, you know, and how, um, um, you know, the good practices around that and, and the impact of having a disability act, because we are still debating this issue. So um, issues like accessibility, I mean, I've been going around and I've been very impressed by um, the level of um, accessibility within um, Bloomington, but only I must, I need to acknowledge that that's only a a Bloomington perspective. It doesn't really give me a general perspective of the whole United States, but still, I've seen very impressive things. And I wonder if is that attributed to the act? Because in our country, we're still debating whether we should have a separate act or we should have disability included in all the other um, acts. I mean, in all the other laws, you know, so that we do away with the segregation that already exists. Because you know, it, yeah, it, we, all, we already have special schools for persons with disabilities, and that's another. That's that's where the debate is coming from. Where some of the South Africans are saying we should include, start including disability in all the other um, acts. So I'm, I've been learning about those practices and how, especially the act has influenced the implementation, and trying to figure out could that be attributed to the law that exists or not? Yeah. Uh, working at the university, I know that um, we have to be ADA compliant. Yeah. And so there was a period of time that um, some of the buildings, uh, the managers of the buildings or the mm -hmm. trustees of the university were given so many years to bring things into compliance. Yeah. Now that act comes with enforcement. Yeah. Because part of the challenge in America is that we're a very litigious society and we keep lawyers well employed. <laughs> so I don't know how it is necessarily in South Africa, but yeah. impediments to, to mobility are fought against. Yeah. And um, the ADA legislation, uh, it, it has just been like a mantra at our institution yeah. and with the city of Bloomington. So you find entities that, are, that could be targets for yeah. lawsuits are yeah. in quick compliance. Yeah. Whereas other uh, smaller shops on, or smaller businesses, you yeah. need someone to come out, inspect, and to prod and yeah. to poke them into compliance. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know how it is necessarily with the court system in South Africa yeah. if, uh, say, I mean, from what we saw with Pretorius and whatnot, but that's a different <laughs> yeah, whatever. Different so we got a little yeah. glimpse. I mean, and it's fascinating, very complex. Yeah. But we got a glimpse into what how yeah. things are handled. Yeah. But do you think someone who has um, uh, needs a redress can find that in the court systems in South Africa? Um, uh, could you please uh, repeat that? Someone like, who has a redress or a problem with, yeah. say, access. Yeah. And they've tried and they've written letters. Yeah. They've gone to, I don't know if they have uh, their local representatives yeah. to that, try to get something done. Yeah. That's what I've noticed also, that um, maybe it's a cultural thing here that um, Americans are not scared to 
zoo, if I can call it that, (laughs) because we don't have that kind of a culture. And I often say that I feel that disabled people are so lenient, you know, because as much as we don't have a disability act per se, but there are other human rights laws that we could use. But we've had many cases, a few cases where not many, not enough, a few cases where um, disabled people were fed up and and decided, you know what, I'm taking, I'm, I'm suing now because this is pure discrimination, you know. Not not enough, because we still have major problems, not just with physical accessibility. I mean, vi- people with visual impairments are, are restricted from um, information barrier, uh, face information barriers and things like that. So I, yeah, I often think that in South Africa, disabled people are lenient enough. And that's why a part of me is leaning towards having a act you know, that can be enforceable because we've been lenient for quite some time. Mm. Yeah. And that's why for me, it's important to learn on that level about how did this come about? You know, how involved were disabled people in lobbying, you know, to ensure that there is an act that is actually enforceable, but not not forgetting that we still in America. I mean, listen to me going, we still in America, <laughs> not forgetting that America still has that culture, uh, which we don't have, you know, of being out there and saying these are my rights which also comes back to another um, point which is it it also comes down to educating disabled people themselves about their rights you know because in most cases because disabled people have been marginalized for so long when when they do have any opportunity or anything that looks positive is being done to them we tend to be feel grateful you know and not want to complain so not not that it's complaining, but I feel that disabled people also need to be empowered enough to be able to know that it is their right to be included in society. Well, it's ironic that we're having this uh, conversation on our yeah. Independence Day, July the 4th, yeah. and that um, America has a long history of wanting to be independent, and we've just seen this play out in Great Britain yeah. uh, with their decision to, um, I guess, succeed from the European Union. Um, but there are so many things that we take for granted, yeah. um, and it's not until we are, um, we yeah. use the phrase checked by someone yeah. to say, hey, you must consider all aspects. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of shifting now to uh, Zumdena, mm-hmm. who uh, is, as she defines, I am an activist. Yeah. And uh, what does that mean, to, to proclaim that I'm an activist and in what way? <laughs> Um, that's an interesting question. Um, well, what I mean by that, per, like personally, is that um, the fact that it means for me, I care. Like I'm not just sitting around. Like I care about like the thing that goes around me, and I try to do something about it. Like that's what an activist is for me. And although I don't want to like self-proclaim to be like a, a, an activist, that's who I am. Like, that's what I do. So activism basically means like caring about your environment and engaging in different movements and different engagements, activities to change and have some sort of impact. So Zemden, a part of your activism uh, involves mentoring high school girls in several different uh, areas, one being reducing gender-based violence. What types of... Uh, what, what's the main problem that you see young girls experience uh, regarding gender-based violence? Um, one of like the biggest problems in Ethiopia, that's where I'm from, is um, gender-based violence, especially in and around schools. 
and even like in, in and around high schools and to the extent of universities. So um, gender-based violence can be like interpreted in so many ways in different countries. In Ethiopia, for example, uh, gender-based violence can be like, it has to be like a physical form of abuse. Like other forms of abuse are not considered gender-based violence. So um, that's the majority of like the, the most problem we have in and around schools is like sexual harassment, like fondling, touching kids, like um, verbal abuse, especially especially when young girls go to school, they have to walk like for long distances and they get all sorts of harassment. Do you think it's taken uh, serious enough? Uh, probably not because that's why you're an activist. Yeah, um, it's not taken serious enough because we live in a patriarchal society. Um, society is conditioned to believe that women are not human beings, like young girls are not human beings. So what we're demanding is for our humanity. We're not like, and then comes like all the other stuff, like the, the equity, the, the, the access to education, access to, the, to this and that. What we're demanding for is like, I'm saying I'm a human being. I'm saying, I'm, look at me. I'm saying I have every right to be on this earth as much as the next person. You know what I mean? So um, patriarchy, misogyny, sexism is like embedded in the psyche and the culture of Ethiopia and my environment. Okay, I, I want to go back to Zuki real quick. And Sylvester, we have not not forgotten you by any means. <laughs> um, you know, there was a certain evolution uh, involved in, in us being able to get to the point where we passed the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. And it took a certain amount of time. Do you think that type of accomplishment for your country is on the horizon, or is it going to take, do you think it'll take a lot longer than it did here? Or what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think the the ADA was passed on in 1990, right? When was it? Oh, you may sure. be correct. We can we can fact check that. In the 1990s, yeah. so it took about continue. 25, 20, 25 years to get to where America is at. Well, is is that what you're saying? Yes. And um, still, I don't think another thing that I noticed as much as I was impressed by um, um, where America or but remember again, this is my perspective. Um, based on Bloomington. That's what we're asking for. Yeah, yeah. I, I also got to realize that um, it's not, it as much as it's impressive, it could be better. That's just my opinion. Right, because yeah. we, even though we have the law, we yeah. still have a long way to go. Yeah, that, and that's my problem with legislation again, because when you enforce legislation, people do just the bare minimum. You know, and for me, it is important for people to realize that it is a human rights issue and do things the right way and, you know, just do the right thing and accommodate everyone. So that's also a bit of my concern when it comes to to legislation. They just do what is required of them to do and not go the extra the extra mile. Yeah, uh, that act uh, was passed July 26th of 1990. Yeah, 1990. I remember. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I. I. I'm very positive. You know, it was also, it's interesting that for me, I'm glad that I got to see what I've seen and I've got gotten to engage with the one or two people within the disability movement who, you know, there's a committee on accessibility that I've had a meeting with and managing to share all of those and also getting a perspective of where other African countries are, you know, from my colleagues with regards to disability inclusion. It gave me an indication that we're not as far back in South Africa as we thought we were. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I am positive that a lot of change can happen. I mean, now we are at a point where 
we can sit with the president, you know, of the country is accessible for us to start to talk about how we can influence the practice within um, 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 South Africa. And I realized that there are other African countries that cannot even access the minister or the mayor and talk to them about such issues. So, uh, yeah, I, but I am yeah, positive. The president is here. Mm, yeah. Sylvester, we have not forgotten you, as William said. Uh, tell us how you have used your skill sets with media production and um, being a mover and shaker in that whole industry to help and impact your cause and your passion. Uh, okay, um, uh, back, back when I worked with the international NGO, such a command ground precisely, uh, I was in charge of productions of um, radio materials, uh, publications and all that stuff. So it was my responsibility to ensure that the content was right that the content was passed and the messages that we wanted it to pass. Uh, we were working on issues that included youth ma marginalization and women marginalization. So I constantly had to produce programs that addressed such issues. And um, that was why just after I left uh, working with the NGO, I started a similar program that kept on addressing the same issues. So uh, we've had, apart from the media productions, we've had um, other outdoor events where we tend to get these young people together. Um, now, now back home, I like seeing smiles on people's faces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what I do is um, I try to understand what would, what would make you smile. Mm -hmm. What would make you smile? So we use that to get them together and speak to them. So for example, we have several programs where we scout for young talents in music. They like, they like music a lot back home. So uh, we scout for young talent in music and get them off the street. Get them to the studio, produce songs for them, and make them smile. Then those those same songs are now played on our program, on radio. So they get to hear their songs on radio for the first time, and that's another smile. So, but lately I've also realized that I would want to do more, more in terms of having young people included in decision making back home and getting them to take on leadership positions without compromise, because that's what we're facing back. So I want to uh, advocate for more inclusion for young people to be in some positions and be leaders in such positions too. Um, I may want to toe the line of being an activist like Zemdena. I'm not sure yet, but I know there's a lot to be done and if we must get it done, we must speak out. You know, I, I've heard the phrase, the eyes are the window to the soul, and I, I guess a smile evokes what's in your heart. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of a, it, it, it tells us that we are registering and, and we could discern the fake smile from the genuine that just emanates yeah. in your soul and comes out. Yes, yeah, so. you know, I was also able to discover this back in school, uh, back in the university. I, I think I just had this, this vibe for young people to get mm -hmm. them engaged. Now, we had this culture where when you're in school for the first year, second year, uh, the, those who are termed cultists in secret cult groups, they would want to recruit younger people to be a part of them. So I was like, okay, what can I do about this? And... Uh, my next action was get them doing music concerts and get them busy on the stage. So that was a tool for us back in the university to use music and arts to distract them from being diverted as cultists to the other group. So, um, and after I left school, we had to adopt a community concert, which we do every year, twice every year. Uh, for those concerts, we scout for young people and put them on the spotlight, music, dance, and comedy. Now, now, would there be a risk in that, in that um, if I'm a young entertainer or have been discovered as young talent, 
am I then dreaming that I'm going to sign a big record deal and, and I'm going to be heard on every station in the whole country and on and on and on? Is there a, sort of a, uh, do you manage expectations but not lose the participant? Yes. Um, uh, one thing we've learned to do is to say the way it says, okay, this is how far we can get to you and um, this is how far we can go. You may need to push on from here and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're doing a deal with you, we'll let you know, okay, if we're going to produce five songs for you in the studio, we'll let you know this is five songs. And these are the stations where we can actually play the songs for mm-hmm. you. Um, if you the, the thing is, if you're good enough, you can pick right. up from there. So you're not promising them uh, monetary recompense for your songs. You're saying we're giving you an outlet to pop expression. And if, it's, uh, if it catches someone's attention, then... Your yeah, gift your, will make room for you, basically. It's, it's, it's your deal if it catches someone's attention. Now, um, Nigeria, or oh, back in my state in Nigeria, is nowhere you play a song and then someone pays your royalty. No. I mean, okay. playing your song on radio is it's it's an opportunity for you yeah, i mean right. if i if i play your song on radio i'm doing you a favor a huge favor and you're credited for, for yes your, this is your song yes okay. exactly right. just, that's a credit to get that this is my song uh, but then um any other opportunity that comes from there henceforth is yours uh, but we also designed a program recently where we manage such talents for up to a year mm-hmm. 365 days precisely okay. and after which we let you go okay. so we could manage you for that period and whatever has to do with um your state performances, your outings, and all that, we manage it. We source out for programs and events for you too, and all that stuff. Okay. So out of all the media work that you do, is is it primarily with radio? Uh, no, uh, I've done a couple of TV productions too. Okay. And so far as radio goes, uh, what is your opinion of uh, radio in this country, besides the fact that it's dominated by right-wing talk shows <laughs> <laughs> okay I've, I've always loved radio I've always loved radio and uh, I think a radio gets to the right people at the right time uh, a radio is something you can listen to wherever you are and whatever you're doing at a particular time and I think um, radio is something that drives community development mm-hmm. which is part of why I I mean this program it's part of what I want to learn using media for development Okay, so I, I, I see it as a tool that could make Omar. I see it as a tool that could build or destroy. Right. So if it is used rightly, the right results would definitely come out. And have you been able to, say, take a, a, a group or cohort and track them? Or, or, well, you need a longitudinal study. But have you been able to say, okay, these participants who took part with us five years ago are here now? after this experience and those four years from now have potential to be here. I mean, have you been able to sort of look at it that way or you've not yet had enough data collected to? Uh, Okay, I think um, on that note, uh, we're building. Mm -hmm. We're building. uh, There are uh, a good number of persons who would always come back and say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Right. Okay, uh, for example, um, not much though. I think about, yeah, the, the radio station I was working with when I left, mm-hmm. what I did was I planted someone there. I see. Okay, so I just took someone directly and I was like, okay, this person replaces will, will replace me. He doesn't have a job yet, but I have told him what to do. He knows how to do this and that. So with a little more training, he could handle it. So I placed them there. And what we did with this position was to network and get other people 
to also be a part of him. Right. So from time to time, we get people that come to us and say, oh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank right. you for the opportunity. Uh, but I think that is why we're also here for the Mandela Washington Fellowship. Right. It helps us to mold and refine the raw programs we have already so we can build them and make it better. Thank you. That was going to be a transition uh, question I was going to ask. I, I asked, let me let me first stop and say, I asked everyone not to hit the table at the beginning. <laughs> and I've been hitting this microphone probably five or six times. But anyway. Um, the Mandela uh, Fellows uh, Program, when you go home, you know, this is now going to be part of your portfolio. And I have taken part in this prestigious, the, the U.S. State Department and this institution, IU, Indiana University, have partnered along with other institutions. I've seen all of these um, local and regional and statewide leaders in these particular areas. That's got to look impressive when you go back home. How do you plan to leverage your goals, your objectives, with now this sort of uh, firepower on behind your name now? Okay, first of all, I'm going to say that the fire is fresh and it's it will keep on burning. Okay. I mean, it's just right. one week uh, on the program and uh, a lot has been learned already. Okay. I mean, I go back home every day and there's something to write to keep down and this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And to an extent, uh, the ideas I've gotten in this one week are like much. I would need to streamline them and say, okay, this is it. This is it. But I, I want to go back with opportunities. Opportunities to um, do more for my people. Opportunities to network for my people. Uh, when, I, when I say my people, I mean the youths out there because back there because uh, they are my passion. The young people out there. Uh, I'm looking out for opportunities uh, for entrepreneurship. Uh, opportunities uh, to build the skills that I've got already. So several ideas have come already, um, programs that will be implemented back home. And I, I, I know and I hope that at the end of the program, um, all the tools and the network, the professional people I need to give me the right advice on such programs would click before I leave. And when I get back home, different prog programs will be implemented. Uh, we had to design some before coming over here. So what we just do is uh, get the experience from here, go back home and implement such programs. Yeah, just to add to like what he was saying, like, for example, one of the things I want to do when I go back is like have my own radio program, because I think like um, radio is like the way to go. Although I'm also a social media activist, there's not a huge penetration of Internet in Ethiopia, but radio is like everywhere. It's in the rural areas. So um, even the, the kind of writing I do is like writing for social change. So I want to have a radio program for like kind of social change. So that's one of the things I want to go back and implement because I remember when I was feeling the application, I had the dream of creating this pan-African media, like women's media initiative. So that's one of the things I'm looking forward to accomplishing after the program. So yeah, this is a big deal, like being part of this program, like it's prestigious. And it's it's a good thing for us because it's going to build up our CV and people are going to appreciate us. Just like when you tell people you've been to the U.S., they appreciate you. Forget like being on this kind of fellowship. So it's a good added value to our resume and the kind of thing we do. Um, uh, for me, it's ensuring that persons with disabilities are visible in each and every sector is very, very important. So just being on the program as the first person who uses a wheelchair from South Africa, 
I feel that that on its own, it's already showing that the sh it's already telling us that the program is an inclusive program and also mm -hmm. acknowledges that persons with disabilities too can contribute to society. So that's big for me, that alone. So by saying I need to ensure visibility, it's important. It was important for me that there's a disabled person, an actual disabled person in this program, and she and here is one, and create and being in the group as an only disabled person, I've noticed from the feedback that I'm getting that the group is more aware, they're more open-minded now. And that was one of the things that I, I wanted to ensure, like visibility, so that people can start taking people with disabilities seriously as professionals, as people that, that, that can contribute. So I feel that I've already done, um, achieved something by being on the program alone. And one of the things that I had in mind was to also um, my work is not particular because I, I need to see disabled people in each and every sector. So that means I need to cut across every sector, like as in the arts, you know, when someone is talking about the youth, because there are young people with disabilities as well. When you're talking about women, there are women with disabilities as well. When we're talking about children, there are children with disabilities as well. So it's nice that we're a diverse group like that and that we work in different sectors. And I'm having conversations with each and everyone, and I'm trying to encourage everyone who's working in a different sector to say, do you have children with disabilities in what you're doing? Just to even instill that thought. So I'm looking at Africa as a whole and the impact that I can have in encouraging, you know, some of my um, colleagues within this group to start thinking about including disabled people in in what they're doing. So that was a st that's a start for me. Um, besides the, the 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 learning about the good practices and seeing how, you know, um, we could probably not necessarily adopt but not reinvent the wheel, you know, uh, uh, based on what we s we've seen works and what we've seen doesn't work, as, and also in other countries, yeah. You know, for all three of you, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, being a part of this program and traveling to this country, you want to network or increase the network that you already have. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to start with uh, Zimdena. Um, have you been able to meet any activists from this country and second part of my question if there was one activist that you really that you would really want to make contact with who would that be what was the first question though because i was stuck on the second had were you able to uh communicate with any other activists in oh, this yeah. country um because the program is just new um mm. we've been here only like for two weeks we haven't been able to do that but i'm hoping that's part of like the process so we'll get to that but if I had to meet like an act because a lot of my thinking is influenced by black American women from the, like from here that like was my I, next question <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like I'm into Bell Hooks I'm into Audrey Lord I'm into Angela Davis so um, you know they've like if I could meet them like like that would mean the world to me like would be a dream come true. Well, I want to let you know, Clarence has this amazing network of people. He could probably hook you up with <laughs> one of them at least. Well, Angela Davis was at the IUPUI campus uh, oh. this past year. Yeah. And she talked, of course, uh, with her passion and her activism and uh, even that infamous day in court where, um, you know, she had to uh, express herself and sort of made a name for herself. But uh, you're right. Um, and and that's also touching to hear that activism here in America is far-reaching um, because we take pages from the name bearer of this program Mandela and all that he achieved and for Dr. Keene I, I just remember um, I happened just to watch um, Glory the other night 
And in that movie, Dr. Keene said there were three things they do to try to affect change. One is that uh, we uh, negotiate. We negotiate. So, and, and that could be everything from the Voting Rights Act was the big thing, or, or the right to vote without taking poll tax, without having to, to have an interview, without having to recite the preamble of our Constitution, where no one else had to do all that, without having to count how many beans are in a jar. And, and voting is a pivotal thing. And when Barack Obama was president, we saw the long lines that historically you see overseas. It hit home. And my parents saw that, and grandparents saw that, and they were very emotional about that. The second thing he said was we negotiate, and then we try to legislate. We try the legal route, the legal route. And if that doesn't work, we protest, or as if you want to try to rhyme it all, we agitate. So yeah. those three things, uh, and they work even in a nonviolent context. Yeah. Uh, and there were members within that movement that wanted to get violent, but the whole emphasis was on we are going to stay nonviolent and there was much power in meekness and it was demonstrated now that movie sanitized a lot of things and, and that's what motion pictures do they only yeah. highlight of course all the positive like the long journey home mandela's story you know it yeah. sanitizes things but you see that people are incredibly human but they're driven by passion and i was touching to hear that there are activists uh african-american women who are activists who have touched your heart um and that's encouraging to hear. So I hope during the course of the next few weeks that you're here, you're able to cross the paths. And you know, if we all could stay in touch, which I imagine we can do, um, um, there are some people in Indianapolis and closer here in Bloomington that uh, it, it may be worth a while to have a conversation with. I'll definitely talk with uh, the, uh, the leadership of the program um, and see what we can do. Thank you. And the question again that we had asked, because we, we kind of got into a conversation, was, um, you know, this program, how will this now empower you going back to affect the things you want to change? Okay, now we talked about the network, which is a part of. I'm sorry, the network. Thank yeah. you. The network. Yeah, the network, which is part of why we, we came. Uh, and mm -hmm. It's been fascinating in just one week. I've met yeah. uh, quite a couple of persons, uh, mm -hmm. and my discussions with them <coughs> have inspired new ideas. Okay, I've met some with Steve Brands, who is the uh, from Ivy Tech College. I also met with Jim Sebastian, is the dean of entrepreneurship, Ivy Tech College. Now, my kind of work is um not limited to music and arts. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I'm an entrepreneur, I also want to grow more entrepreneurs around me. Because unemployment is an issue back in my country, that's something I also want to fight against. So I want to see a group of young people doing business and doing stuff employing other people so we could create this ripple effect that would curb the effect of unemployment so i'm looking at starting a fellowship a fellowship of young people who are going to be entrepreneurs okay so i've been discussing that with a couple of the people i've met already so uh the relationship and the discussions are evolving i also had a chance to sit one-on-one -on -one with the provost of the indiana university um, Robel Lauren, a fascinating woman, and uh, no, so the relationship uh, they are they are all evolving, and the kind of network I am looking for, I think I'm getting them. Particularly though, I've not met anyone that deals directly with media 
you guys are the frost. So, <laughs> who would you choose to meet, though? I just met it was a few time. but unfortunately, that was, that was a trick. Question. I, I, I met him. I met him first at the mall. I didn't know he was a media person in the first place. <laughs> but, but yeah, we were, we were literally standing next to each other. I was buying a new phone because my my phone I was ready to throw against a wall. Yeah. And I went in there just to get a battery, but the salesman was very compelling. I yeah, they can, they can be sometimes. Oh, yeah, and, but it, it made sense. It's time to get another phone instead of throwing, taking the battery out of my phone to turn it off. That, that's not a good thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, we just happened a chance meeting, and you were wanting to upgrade an iPad. But I just noticed that, uh, you know, technology is bridging a lot of the gaps between countries and continents. I mean, yeah, technology yeah, single-handedly, yeah. the Internet is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, we can uh, see what's going on. Uh, I think uh, that when uh, yeah. the Chinese students in Tiananmen Square rose up, um, it was sort of the early days of, of internet, and we began to kind of see some things. But now you can look inside of countries, um, the the Arab Spring. We were keeping abreast of all the revolutions, the changes, the upheavals, and now it's coming back to kind of haunt us with the recruitment for ISIS. Now, granted, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of that we can manage, but the, the Internet has been a phenomenal tool. It's made the world yeah, much smaller. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It has been. Uh, well, I'm glad I met you guys. And I know the program managers for this program in IU have got lots of other plans for us to meet with other okay, media people good. from the media school and other network professionals. He sounds like he has to go somewhere. <laughs> oh, well, no. <laughs> well, he's, gonna, he's got places to go and people to see. Uh, uh, Will Murphy, uh, I'm not sure if you met him yet. He used to be the station manager here at okay. uh, WFHB. He is now over at WFIU. Oh. Phenomenal person. And Will Murphy is a person that you should talk with. Um, and he's very, very knowledgeable. And then Osita Afawaku uh, is over in Spia. And I'm not sure if he is going to have a chance encounter to meet with you, but... Uh, uh, when you talk about trying to do entrepreneurial things, talk with him. Um, I just know that he and his wife have been involved in some type of entrepreneurial pursuit. Didn't we interview okay. him once? We did. We have interviewed yeah. Osita before. But those are two fascinating people to talk with. And, and activism, I, I think we have a lot of activists that I oh, yeah. Uh <laughs> It's just, I, I wish there, there's a young woman who has, has sort of been co-anchoring with us, Amrita Myers. Amrita. Phenomenal woman. Phenomenal person. And we'll make sure that she's in touch with you at some point. A disability uh, activist. She, that's probably something that she could tackle. Okay. There's, I'll put it this way. There's nothing that Amrita can't right. tackle. Mm -hmm. But Amrita, it, to your point, really, uh, uh, zoomed in. Mm -hmm. She is an activist activist at heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to her, I'm like, yeah. And she, Jacinda, she's, who is in, actually in Africa right now. She travels there every year. She works with us sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, Zuki, same question. Uh, who would, if you had the opportunity, who would you choose to meet while you're here? Um, you know, I'm a strong believer in main in that main disability mainstreaming will not kick off without the political buy-in of our leaders, but most importantly, without listening to the voices of disabled people themselves. Disabled people themselves need to lead and drive programs around disability inclusion and they need to be heard and they need to be included from the beginning of anything till the decision making phase right. yeah for it to be done right there's a lot of mistakes around the world that have been made that have been that have t that have been done 
by excluding when disabled people were excluded on issues around them. So I have already met with um, um, a committee, a local committee on on um, on accessibility, and I've met with a couple of with um, what's this lady's name? A a consultant mm -hmm. who assists in in doing um, accessibility surveys. You know around. Where are you? Yeah, yeah. And but yeah. but most importantly, I'd love to hear from leaders in the disability sector right. themselves. Right. Yeah. If I can add one thing to that, uh, in our country, uh, we notice that say changes in medical care really take place not when sort of marginalized communities are all of a sudden struck with say diabetes or this that and the other. But when this, because it knows no color, when this starts going out to other communities, then you see commercial after commercial, research after research, we're going to cure this thing. And yeah. I think, well, wait a minute. Now, when it was, pro, you know, when it was, because in some communities of the, of the bad, poor mm -hmm. eating habits that we had, yeah. it was prevalent there where it was all, you know, the uproar. With disabilities, I noticed that in America, when people of wealth get older, disabilities become a reality in some shape, form, or fashion yeah. with mobility yeah. and with other things. Yeah. We're talking perhaps two different things, but we see a lot of move to pass certain legislation because AARP, um, mm. you know, Amer uh, I, I forget what the acronym stands for, just American sort of. American Association of Retired Persons. Ah. Because they do assist a lot of people who now have mobility issues. Mm. They are a staunch legislative or lobbyist mm. group mm. to make sure th certain things are passed. Yeah. But, but what I'm getting at is that sometimes people who have, say, influence, not necessarily wealth, but influence. Yeah. And you can have influence without having wealth. Yeah. But wealth does help the situation. It does. And, I, and I, in Africa, I, I don't know if there are some impediments toward those who are now getting older uh, in South Africa to um, become advocates. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, but I would imagine a person before his fall from grace yeah. um, are, you know, Pistorius, 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 rather. Oscar and I Pistorius, come, yeah. Oh, yes, Oscar Pistorius, I think I slaughtered that earlier. We lifted him up yeah. in the Olympics. We're not talking about just the latter occurrences of some yeah. big yeah. indiscretions, but we lifted him up because yeah. he was competing. Yeah. And competing well, got yeah. to the finals. Now, he could have been a spokesperson, champion certain causes, but things happen. Yeah. There are others out there I know who can also pick up the mantle yeah. and do that <clears throat> but I hope while you're here you can cross the path, path of people many people yeah. who can um, be advocates for you we have about a minute left and we want to go to each of you and ask if there are any parting words you want to leave with our listeners as we wrap up this really engaging conversation and thank you number one for accommodating us on somewhat you know here it is 4th of July holiday and you can be out doing other things but you're here with us and we thank you are there any things you'd like to leave with us as we sort of transition away from this interview? And, and Sylvester, we'll start on your end if you'll, if you'll leave us with, say, a minute and a half worth of... Okay. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to the residents of Bloomington. Um, mm. They've been very, very, very accommodating, and I like the, uh, the simplicity I find here. Uh, it's fascinating. And I also want to thank uh, my fellows, my fellow fellows <laughs> <laughs> on the program with me. Um, the combination that we have here is quite unique. And I've been inspired by each and every one of them, from Zuki to Zemdena, Adamu, Charles, and the rest of them. I want to appreciate each and every one of them and also appreciate IU for hosting this fellowship this year. 
Um, I'm also grateful for this opportunity. I really am. And I just want to share my vision. My vision is a vision of a society that no longer has accessibility signs. That may sound wrong, but I don't, I dream of a, a society that doesn't have accessibility signs because in that way, that will mean that all our buildings and services and products are inclusive to everyone to the greatest extent possible. Because to a certain extent, accessibility signs also perpetuate the segregation, the us and them. And I wanna say that I've met a lot of amazing, 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 I'm so inspired, I'm grateful for being in this pro pro uh, program, amazing young people doing amazing things to change um, Africa. And I strongly believe that with the right platforms, you know, and the right opportunities, Africa is in good hands. The future of Africa is in good hands. Um, just uh, like, yeah, I share the views of my colleagues, but like, I just wanted to thank uh, what we call Black Twitter. I don't know if you guys are yeah. familiar with it, but like a lot of my activism is influenced by people on Twitter, especially black people, black women on Twitter. So I just want to give a big shout out to like, those people on there and also to like black American women who have really influenced my thinking and who have really given me love and healing and understanding and harmony so one Africa yeah. all right thank you again we want to thank Sylvester Sade from Nigeria Zumdena Ariru from Ethiopia and Zuki Zenel from South Africa for joining us from the Mandela Washington Fellows. For four weeks, Ayu Bloomington will be home to 25 young leaders from Sub-Saharan Africa. Launched in 2014, the Mandela Washington Fellowship empowers young African leaders through academic coursework, leadership training, mentoring, networking, professional opportunities, and support for activities in their communities. Fellows are leaders from 49 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa who have established records of accomplishment in promoting innovation and positive change in their organizations, institutions, communities, and countries. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we want to hear it. Send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share anything and everything affecting the African American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address once again, Bring it on at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB is provided by Bloomington Hardware, locally owned and operated by the same family since 1928. Offering products and help for home improvement projects and including paint, lawn care, and more. Located at the corner of College Mall Road and Covenanter Drive on the east side. Information is available at 812 339-7575 or 24-7 at bloomingtonhardware.com. Support is also given to WFHB from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976, serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening. Featuring a full bar serving fresh and handcrafted cocktails, the Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. More information is available online at the hyphen uptown.com.
You just heard Lover's Holiday by the group Change. We hope you all are enjoying your 4th of July holidays. This is Bringing On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with the WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. Again, we want to thank Sylvester Sede from Nigeria, Zumdena Eriru from Ethiopia, and Zuki Zenhol from South Africa for joining us from the Mandela Washington Fellows. For three more weeks, IU Bloomington will be home to 25 young leaders from sub-Saharan Africa. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Tonight's board engineer was Floyd Hobson and Jim Thrasher. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday, July 11th at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.